and welcome to I'm Not Doing This Without Alcohol. My name's Denise Ferguson from Fine Surveyors and today I'm here with James. Hi James, how are you? I'm good, thanks Denise. Awesome. So James, what's your business called and what do you do? I have two businesses, but the interesting one, because we can't do it without alcohol, is Martin and Brown Botanical Distillates. We started by calling them distillates because we thought it made them sound posh and different and better and fun. Uh, but in fact, what they are is botanical spirits. So think about a 40% alcohol by volume, clear, crafted spirit along the lines of a botanical vodka. Um, we have uh, another category which has recently been promoted called table spirits, which I'll perhaps talk about a little bit later. That seems to be a new trend. But yes, it's a clear spirit. So uh, my journey started in hospitality. Uh, I was brought up in a hotel by my family and they were new to hospitality as well. So we all learned together. Then I went to catering college. I did my uh, HND in Kendall and in Blackpool in, in the Northwest. Um, and I then, after qualifying, traveled all over the UK and worked in every sector of hospitality, mostly as a chef, sometimes as a catering manager, but it was the food side that I enjoyed. So I gravitated towards cooking. Um, I've been a member of the Master Chefs of Great Britain since 1997. And I keep that membership uh, and we go to the uh, the, the annual uh, Knees Up, which are fabulous events. Uh, most years it's been cancelled for the last couple of years, of course, but it's restarted now. So I'm from hospitality. I met my wife and business partner, uh, my wife and business partner, Kim, through hospitality, through a friend of a friend, a job that I was introduced to through, through an introduction. And uh, there was Kim working in East Anglia behind the bar of a pub called the Lazy Otter, a riverside diner. And um, we got together a little bit later, and that was in the 90s, the early 90s. And we worked together in hospitality. I worked as head chef, she worked as hotel manager, and we worked in various jobs together, always in the food business. I think Kim's always had a bit of an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spark about her. Uh, she'd always wanted to start her own business and I didn't mind the idea too. So uh, we thought, well, what can we do? And we actually, during the course of working in hotels, we spotted a gap in the market. And the reason that that is relevant is because when we came to make Martin and Brown Botanical Spirits, we spotted another gap in the market. But the first gap in the market we saw was we saw um, a gap where we were, we were short of staff. We couldn't rec recruit chefs. We couldn't recruit front of house st uh, staff for our hotel. So we looked to see if there were any agencies in the area that we could try because we tried advertising in the local press. These are back in the days where you put an advert in the newspaper, paid your money and hoped that somebody responded. Um, and it didn't really work very well. So the agency route didn't work either. There wasn't anybody in our region doing what we did. So we started our own agency. So that was business number one. Uh, we started it in 1997 and I still run it to this day. It's a chef agency. It's called AWOL Recruitment. We specialize in temp chefs. If your chef goes AWOL, you call us and we find you one. Oh, I love that. She, so yeah. many chefs go AWOL. They do. They continue to do so. And you can tell the era that we started AWOL because it got you to the first line of the yellow pages because it was a dot. 
that's not relevant anymore with Google. No, it's not. But why do you think it is that so many chefs go AWOL? Do you think it's because it's a buyer's market for them? Like they they know that they can get a job anywhere? That, that's a big part of it. Um, a, lot of, a lot of chefs are true professionals, not all of them, of course, but it is a buyer's market at the moment. But I think one of the reasons that chefs go AWOL is because it's a high-pressure environment and it's hard work, it's long hours, and traditionally it's not very well paid. That's changing now, and it's one of the good things that has come out of the pandemic because there's a chronic staff shortage across many industries, but it's particularly acute um, in hospitality. Chefs are under particularly short supply, and therefore, at last, wages have gone up. And I think chefs who have been in the industry, they've gone through college, they've done their, their apprenticeship, they are at least as skilled as other tradespeople like electricians, plumbers, etc., and many others, but they've always been paid less. Now, with our agency, we're paying parity with professional trades and our chefs are worth it. They really are worth their salt. So that's AWOL and we continue to run it, but we got to the beginning of the pandemic and our chefs couldn't go out and work so this leads me on to talk about Martin and Brown. We'd had the idea before the pandemic started, uh, but it gave us the opportunity to finish the project because the chef agency was dormant until we could send staff out again. We had the time to, to finish the project. So Martin and Brown, what did we want to do with it? Well, I'm going to avoid the gin word as much as I can, but I am going to give it one little mention just now. Our drinks are very different to gin, but they do have a, a, a sort of a similarity. Gin's great, but it has to have juniper. Um, it has to have four, four um, botanicals, actually, juniper, coriander, angelica, um, orris root is another one. But gin tastes of gin for a reason. It's mostly because of the juniper that's in it. And then what we wanted to do coming from a food and drink background was we wanted to create a drink which would pair with, with food, much like wine does. And gin is a difficult drink to pair. It always has to taste of that juniper, so that's limiting. Take the juniper away, start with a clear spirit, and you've got a blank canvas. Now then, we found ourselves living in East Anglia, which is where my wife Kim is from. In East Anglia, it's agricultural farming, lots of crops grown. One of the crops that is grown in East Anglia is sugar beet. We thought, wouldn't it be fabulous if we could make our East Anglian spirit from sugar beet? So we looked for a craft distiller and we found one who uses sugar beet to make the, the ethanol base that the drink starts with. So now we've got history because Kim's dad, granddad and great granddad always used to uh, farm fields uh, of East Anglia where the sugar beet grew amongst other crops, but that was the key one. The second historical connection is that Kim's grandmother held down two jobs in the Second World War. Uh, she worked as a nurse in Newmarket, and then she used to cycle 20 miles to Ely, where there is a sugar beet factory, and she used to test the sugar beet for its sugar content uh, before it was processed and, and that's the story behind why we wanted to use a local product to make a local drink. So we're very much a regional drink. So there we are. We started with a fabulous clear base and we wanted to put flavours into it that would allow it to be paired with food um, so that you could take a, a sort of a, a real fresh approach to it. 
So we came up with several varieties to start with. We, we fine-tuned them down to our two favourites. The first one that we came up with was the Italian spice blend. We call it Italian, but it's actually really Mediterranean because of the flavours that we, we put into it. It has 11 botanicals as part of its makeup, which include tomato. We actually use dried Spanish tomatoes, which were really intense in flavour. We also use sun-dried tomatoes. Uh, we what made you come up with these formulas? Because we weren't limited. We, I thought what flavours we wanted, and we wanted to know if we could get them into a spirit. So I think it's one of those things where if we had worked for a distiller before or we'd worked in the drinks industry before, we wouldn't have come up with these flavours because you're hardwired, you're conditioned by perhaps what's been done before. Um, but we didn't have that as a disadvantage. We thought, well, what can we do? Let's do something that we want to do and then see if we can make it work. It would have been easy to make a sort of a, a, a gin or, or, or you know, a drink that's recognised, but we thought, well, let's try something new. So including the intense tomato flavour the Italian spice blend also has capers, black pepper, orange and lemon, grains of paradise, basil uh, and oregano. And the final ingredient that we added to it was chilli. Now, I thought chilli in a spirit. We don't want it to be spicy, but we do want it to have that chilli flavour. I love it when you eat a chilli and before the burn kicks in, you get that lovely flavour. Um, yeah. So we use our bowl chilies and they're dried. And then we pan fry them and we actually prepare all of the ingredients that go into the botanicals ourselves in, in, our, in our own space. And then we send them off to our, our master distiller to do. And cooking the chilies, you've got to be careful. Really, next time I'm going to do it on a barbecue outside because we smoked out the house and it was acrid smoke. But our bowl chilies, they're quite large. And generally, as a rule of thumb, the larger the chili, the milder the flavour. So we have this lovely, mild, aromatic, smoky chili flavour that runs through the Italian spice blend. And uh, it's a savoury drink. It's, it, it's fabulous. It goes with all sorts of Mediterranean uh, dishes. So think Italian, think Mediterranean, think pasta, antipasto dishes, all of the mixed flavours you get with antipasto. Tomato-based dishes works well with chicken. It stands up to game too. Um, we can use it to make cocktails with, but the base spirit, you should... Probably most people enjoy it with uh, a mixer. So as you would make a, a G&T, one third or a quarter spirit and then top up with your, your favourite mixer. And we thought, right, let's make something different. And we love Indian food. We love spicy food. We love... Oh, uh, I do too. Oh, good, good, good. Um, Middle Eastern as well. A particular favourite is Lebanese. We have got some really great Lebanese restaurants that we go to time after. And I love the way that they combine spices and flavors so you get that real flavor that just keeps you coming back for more that mouthfeel that you get with with the delicious uh, metse dishes that they have so the second is the eastern spice blend and it has botanicals that include fresh coriander so we wash and prepare the fresh coriander and we put dried coriander seeds in as well it has fennel it has ginger sumac which is that sharp berry which has got a kind of a citrus bite to it cardamom pops black pepper grains of paradise cassia bark cumin seeds and a fragrant finish of rose we use rose petals that go into the, the blend so this is all i'm together. not sure i think i'm the first one because i am that um 
genetic makeup that tastes soap when I have coriander? Many people are. My mum eats most food apart from coriander and goat's cheese. Uh, but oh, I, I love, love goat's cheese. Things. Yeah, yeah, it's not exclusive. You can, you can like yeah. one, not like the other. So, yeah, each drink is definitely not for everybody. Um, a lot of people find the Italian spice blend challenging, but a lot of people love it, and we've got some big fans. Um, so what can I tell you about the Eastern Spice Blend? We love it with ginger. We love it with a light tonic. It grows, goes so well with curry um, as an alternative to lager. So not everybody wants to drink beer with a meal. Um, but the Eastern Spice Blend with a good squeeze of lime and topped up with light tonic really makes a delicious drink. So um, that's the base of it. Two years ago uh, is when we, we took the, the drinks to market. In our first year, we won two awards at the International Wine and Spirits Competition and the London Spirits Competition. Um, in that one, we got silver for both blends. In the IWSC, we got silver for the Eastern Spice blend. So they are sort of got that rubber stamp from the industry, uh, which we were so proud of after not having made spirits before and basically just getting up and having a go at it. So yeah, that was, that was really good. So what actually made you go from, I mean, I, I know you saw a gap in the market, but that doesn't always make people want to then turn it into a business. And I know that Kim was, has that entrepreneurial spirit and it was kind of in her to, to run businesses herself, but it is a hard slog being a you know a small batch distiller what what made you continue that 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 process get you know turn it into an actual business i think we saw a gap in the market we saw that botanical spirits were a new trend at the time uh, we we're big fans of difford's guide great for cocktails great for for trends and simon difford picked out the fact that botanical spirits could be the next big thing after gin and rum. So we thought, well, that's encouraging. I think I mentioned uh, at the beginning as well about table spirits. We, um, we read an article recently in the Decanter, which talks about table spirits. It's something which is quite common in Asia, uh, but not so common in Europe. And it's where you would literally have a bottle on the table with mixers, you help yourself to it, and it's designed to go with food. So this was kind of, anyway, that's things that you can do with it. Why did we do it? I'm still not sure. It's definitely a difficult thing to, to promote because we like to pigeonhole. So everybody will ask us, what is it? Where do yeah. we put it? Where does it go on the shelf? What do we drink it with? And so- Is it a gin? Is it a vodka? No. Yeah. No, it's not gin. <laughs> We've said that many times. And- the way forwards for us is let's take it back to the restaurant. Let's take it back to hospitality because then you have um, an educated manager or cocktail bar person or food and beverage manager or, or, that, that can actually explain what the drink is to their customer. And I think one of the things that we've all seen is that if you think back to the, the bad old days of the 70s where you could only buy a tiny selection of beers and the wine was awful in pubs and we've seen the proliferation of different brands the craft brewing market has exploded the spirits market has exploded people want new experiences 
and Martin and Brown are all about new experiences. It's a drink that you won't have tasted anything like before. And that's quite hard to say, but I can say it because we make it and we know that it's got a unique recipe for each blend. So by promoting it as something that is an experience and something that goes with food and marketing it to hospitality, particularly gastropubs, cocktail bars, uh, and restaurants, uh, we, we, we think that that's probably the way forwards for this drink. And it's the way to multiply our exposure to an appreciative market. So where can people find Martin and Brown? At martinandbrown.uk. <laughs> .co.uk or just.uk? Just.uk. Yeah. Ah, okay, cool. So martinandbrown.uk. Brilliant. Well, that's it, I have yeah. We're I fully licensed. Have... Uh, we can sell to the public as well as to trade. Yes. Oh, awesome. Well, I do have a, a collection of distilled alcohol beverages. So I will have to add do that. Really? To... <laughs> I do. So I will have to add that to my collection and see if it's something, especially the Italian um, blend. I might get the other one for the husband and see whether or not it's something that I will be able to palate. Definitely. So where do you see the business going? Well, what's the plans? Um, it's it's going to build, and I think one of the ways we were speaking to the owners of Double Dutch, who make fabulous sodas and mixers, uh, last year, and theirs is an interesting growth story. They they look like they're on the verge of something really big just now, um, as maybe Fever Tree were five years they ago. They have beautiful, beautiful mixers. Totally agree with you, and they started by pounding the pavement and I think what we've got to do in London and in our local city of Cambridge we want to actually bring the drink to people and allow them to taste it and do some shows as well now we can get back out and do food and hospitality shows that's the way forwards for us so I think get people to taste it bring on board some sort of super fans for our spirits um, and then develop it from there uh, we do also have a, a social media marketing campaign signed up, ready to go. That's going to be launched in late March, early April. Um, and it's with the same company that uh, looks after BrewDogs. So they've got history. That's amazing. Yeah, BrewDogs had a phenomenal um, rise to fame. So it would be great to see you guys kind of pick up that pace and and go with um, social media campaigns. And it's the way to go now, like definitely pounding the pavement has its plus sides too, but I think the momentum you can get from, you know, um, being on social media is just, you know, un unrivaled anywhere else now. So yes, definitely get on board with that. And, you know, anything that we can do to help, we will absolutely definitely be grabbing a bottle and um, testing it out and giving you a shout out anytime that we try it, so. Thank you. Have you seen the bottle? It's. Uh, I can see it behind you. They look beautiful bottles. And yeah. I know that doesn't interest some people, but I love the shapes of bottles too. And it looks like a very beautiful bottle. It's a classic shape. And before we actually took quite a long time, um, we could have come to market a little bit sooner, but you only get that one chance to make a first impression. I know it's a cliche, but we wanted to make sure that the design and the bottle and everything about the product looked as good as it tastes so yeah it took us a while to get there but we're super proud of how it looks no it does look very good i'm very proud of you well done so when you're not i mean let's talk well, first of all let's talk a little bit about more about awol because i absolutely love the name 
what so tell me first was that because so many go away tell me it was definitely that it was it really Good. was yeah and it's got that kind of army connotation it, it got us you know at the top of the phone book as i mentioned before uh but it, it, it's a great little business when we set it up we we lived and worked in cumbria so now even though we're in cambridge the business is run from cambridge but all of our chefs live between preston and carlisle and that's the area that we serve we are going into year 23 this wow. year we set it up in 1999 uh, we started off doing a lot of permanent recruitment but we found that was a, there was a real gap in the market for agency chefs for temporary chefs and so we filled that gap um, and that's what we built our reputation on uh, we've got a small elite team of chefs that are out working every day of the year including christmas day this year not every christmas but this this i think we had two chefs out working christmas day they're paid well uh, and we have a, a team that is well respected in the, in the area and it's really fun to run uh, because it's fast moving bookings come in left right and center i've got to try and fill them all and make sure that the chefs get what they're looking for in the region that they're looking for so we uh, we, we do our bit to uh, keep the catering industry running in the northwest any plans to expand that no um, we've been offered many times over the last 20 odd years We've been offered to franchise it. Uh, we've tried various collaborations, uh, but it's one of those we have decided. It's neat, it works, it's simple. Uh, we're just gonna leave it as it is. And because it's relatively small, it allows us to manage it easily. And then there's room for other projects such as Martin and Brown. Yeah, I love that. Okay, well, let's go back to you guys as, you know, as a family, as a family run business. How do you manage that as a whole? Because you do AWOL with Kim and you do the Martin and Brown with Kim. So how on earth do you manage that? My husband now works for me and I find that absolutely insane in itself. So have you always kind of done that? You know, you worked together before you were doing this. Is this something you're comfortable with? How do you manage it? Well, I, I used to cook and Kim used to manage. And then when we started AWOL, um, I was still cooking full time and I started working as a chef for, for AWOL uh, for the first few years because we needed chefs on board and uh, while we were recruiting to, for our team. That's what I did and Kim managed everything and she started from nothing. I remember we were on holiday in Lanzarote and she built the business up from nothing to over 60 chefs in I think 18 months. And we had mobile phones going off all over the place and we got back from that holiday we thought something's got to change. So that's when she said to me, you need to come on board and help me stop cooking and help manage the business. And so that's what I did. And I was rubbish. I was absolutely rubbish at it. I wasn't any good with a keyboard. I wasn't so good on the phone. I was used to the kitchen environment and I was used to being behind the kitchen door, not in front of the kitchen door, dealing with, 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 with the public. Uh, but I learned the skills. Uh, she might tell you that I didn't, but I think I'm better than I used to be. And um, so we've worked together for a long time and you get used to it. And also we have different roles within the business. So Kim looks after the financials and I look after the operations. So sometimes I don't have the, 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 uh, uh, the benefit of a separate office at the moment. We're in the same office until our property gets fully developed. But often we're in different parts of the building doing different things for the same business. And with Martin and Brown, that was more of a collaboration, actually, between both of us. Uh, Kim came up with some of the blends. I came up with some of the flavours. We worked together on it, tasted it, worked at it. And uh, that's more of a combined. But again, Kim's, well, actually, now I'm going to give her full credit for this. She's uh, 
really been the driving force, certainly originally behind Martin and Brown. And she saw that there was a gap and she saw that some different flavours could be could be really great to bring to the market. Um, and I helped perhaps with my palette and trying to put the flavours together to get them to work really well. Uh, but yeah, that one's more of a joint effort. And it's nice to have a product rather than a service. Um, it's great to have a product that you can take and show people and taste. So yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah, awesome. So are you on social media now or is it just on your website? Definitely on social media. Uh, but again, watch this space uh, because it's going to be bursting all over social media when our campaign starts. Um, so yeah, that will happen. But yeah, we're in all of the usual places at the moment. Awesome. So if anyone wants to buy a bottle now, they can buy it on the website. You can find them all over social media. So get out there now and do that. So I end all the podcasts with the eight mile moment. Don't give a shit what anyone thinks about me. I love Eminem. And he does all of his rap battles by saying the worst things about him. He's skinny, is white, his mum lives in a trailer so that his opponent can't say anything bad back to him. So what are the worst things about you? Mm, I think I'm probably selfish. Um, I try, I get myself in a, in sort of one trap mode. I don't like to be being disturbed when I'm focusing what I'm doing, but I'm having to learn how to multitask. It's a, it's a, it's a man thing I know, I'm sure, but uh, that I, yeah, I think about myself too much. I don't think about other people as much as I should do, but I know it's a problem. So I'm dealing with it. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, your first step then, if you can admit there is an issue, then you can work on the issue. But I think... I can get quite one track. I don't, I wouldn't consider myself selfish. Maybe I am. You've just made me think about that. But, um, but I can get quite one track. And when I'm busy and focusing on things, like I can't be disturbed. It drives me insane. So I kind of get what you're talking about. But I am a good multitasker, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, James. Lovely. Thank you, Denise. Anytime. And as always, if you want to be on the podcast or you want to sponsor a podcast, you can contact us at podcast at find-surveyors.co.uk. Say goodbye, James. Bye-bye.